You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. This is Mattingly Watson from Fact of Life, and today we have Terry Marcroft joining us. Terry is the author of Pro-Choice, Pro-Adoption. It's time for a loving, positive response to unplanned pregnancy. She's also the founder and executive director of Unplanned Good, a California-based nonprofit corporation that promotes adoption as a viable and preferred third option for women facing unplanned pregnancies. Terry, thank you for joining me today. Maddie, thank you so much for having me. So without giving too much away, for our listeners out there who haven't had the pleasure of diving into your book yet, what is your message? What does it cover? What should they know going into this interview? (laughs) The main thing that they should know, Maddie... Given that there are almost 3 million unplanned pregnancies in the U.S. every year, what I really want people to know is that they don't have to choose between abortion and parenting. There is a possibility for them to choose life, even if they're not ready to parent. They could choose adoption. And adoption has changed so much in the last 20 years or so that that's that's one thing that very, very few people understand unless they've actually experienced an adoption in their lives. But most people don't know how much it's changed and it's mm-hmm. become so much healthier, so much more transparent and so much more beautiful than it ever was in the in the previous century. So why do you think that people aren't as aware nowadays of adoption or why it's not being promoted to expecting mothers? Um, because as you said, you know, it's become this, a lot more of an open process. So why do you think that lack of knowledge on the public's part is? Well, partly because it it doesn't affect everybody. So, you know, we, we talk about the things that affect us in our lives. But also, there are a lot of hidden agendas that have to do with, you know, the abortion side of thing is uh, really a money-making industry. And so that all the messaging and the marketing promotion activity is meant to drive revenue, frankly, in the, mm-hmm. in the abortion side of things. Um, but in the in the single parenting th- side of things, people choose often choose single parenting because they think that it's the right thing to do. Um, and of course, we we might we might encourage them to ch- choose life. But if they're not ready, willing, and able to parent, you know, for example, if you think of a seventeen year old girl who hasn't finished her income, hasn't finished her education, doesn't have a source of income then choosing single parenting is a really long and difficult road. And so it's, it sacrifices a lot of her life. And it also makes, um, it pushes sacrifices on, on the child as well, because the child growing up with uh, much less advantages, much, you know, not the benefit of a two-parent household, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, there are a lot of reasons why people don't choose, or why people do choose abortion and single parenting these days. But the main reason for not choosing adoption is just because people don't know about it. Mm -hmm. So that's what inspires me and drives me to talk more about it. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. So, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that you have a nonprofit called Unplanned Good. Mm -hmm. So how has that work and, you know, your work with your book all intermingled together and what, I guess, have y'all been doing on that front lately? Well, it started a lot, Unplanned Good started about 15 years ago. And the reason I started it was because um, after I had been raising my daughter for a while, well, I should actually back up a bit to talk about how I became a mom. Oh, yeah, perfect. <laughs> because, <laughs> because then it all makes more mm-hmm. sense. Because I became a mom, my husband and I um, had struggled with infertility and then spent a couple of years on the adoption effort. And after, at long last, at long last, we were blessed enough that a young woman was choosing adoption and then choosing parents and then chose us. 
And so for her to choose us, it was it was an amazing time when the adoption agency called us and said, hey, Terry, you two have been chosen for um, this, this young high school senior. She hadn't finished her um, senior year of high school yet. And she had been looking through dozens of profiles of parents and she chose us for some very specific and personal reasons. And so she chose us to raise her baby. And so she got in touch with us and we had a, had a nice long phone call uh, when she was about halfway through her pregnancy. And so we had the blessing of being able to walk through the second half of her pregnancy with her, like go to her first ultrasound, go to doctor's appointments, go to Lamaze classes and be her coach there. Uh, we, we walked with her as much as we could every step of the way until she delivered. And then, um, and then we entered into our whole big adoption adventure you know, <laughs> which was which was just a beautiful and and almost um, ideal uh, blessing on us. And so then it was like if you fast forward from there, about ten years later, I started realizing that a lot of my friends who had also you know put off motherhood and focused on their careers, not knowing what they were sacrificing, a lot of them started facing infertility. And I thought, well, why don't you just adopt like we did? I mean, piece of cake, right? Mm -hmm. So. I thought they could just choose adoption and then go through with it. Um, but it turned out that there are just not that many babies available to adopt. So it just wasn't that easy. And that made me wonder why there weren't so many babies available to adopt. So started digging into that and found out the stats that we were talking about earlier that of all of the almost 3 million unplanned pregnancies in this country, about half the people are choosing abortion, about half are choosing single parenting, and it's only about 1% that are choosing adoption. So that made me very passionate about uh, wanting to share the beautiful experience that we had with other people and being able to um, have, have more women think about adoption because it just doesn't even get on their mental radar. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, those stats you say every time just they, they get me every time. I think not a lot of people realize that so few uh, people are out to adopt. In fact, I think a lot of times you hear people say, you know, why not just adopt? Or if you're going to support either pro-choice or pro-life views, like back that up and adopt. Um, why do you think that it is that people don't necessarily realize that there are so many families waiting out there to adopt? Or do you think they do realize it? No, I don't think that people realize that there are so many families waiting mm -hmm. to adopt. In fact, if we today, right, just today, if we put a pause on all abortions in this country, it would take us well over a year, well over a million skipped abortions to satisfy all of the hopeful adoptive parents who would love to have a baby. Wow. So they're, they're, somewhere between one and two million hopeful couples in this country who are waiting to adopt right now. Wow, that's incredible. So what work is your nonprofit Unplanned Good doing? Kind of explain to us the kind of work that you're doing. So um, well, we're, we're, well, basically we're spreading the message about open adoption and how beautiful that can be and exactly what that means. So spreading the message... Um, so when you think about who are our audiences, people might assume that our audiences are all the young women in their teens and 20s who face an unplanned pregnancy. And that is one of our audiences to get to these women themselves. But even more important is getting to the people that they turn to. Like that means their mothers and fathers, their teachers, their pastors, their aunts and uncles, 
all of those people in their 40s, maybe, uh, are in a position to advise. Because when a woman faces unplanned pregnancy, she usually turns to her mentor or her mother. Or if, if she has a partner, then she turns to her partner. So getting all these people to understand that adoption is an option and why you might want to choose it, that's the crazy part. Because uh, when people think about all three of their options now, if we've got three on the table, there's mm-hmm. abortion and single parenting, which is the 98% of all choices. And then there's adoption. If we get all three of those options on the table, then um, people can start to evaluate in a new frame of mind, in a new light, because we've learned a lot about the damages that abortion does to a woman's body. We've learned a lot about the downsides of single parenting and how that affects the mom, the baby, and society. And then we've learned a lot about adoption and how to do it right. Mm -hmm. So thank God we've we've been paying attention to that story and we know now so much more about how to do adoption right. Mm -hmm. And the whole adoption uh, practice has changed from very dark and closed practice to a much more open, transparent, honest, and beautiful Mm -hmm. open adoption practice. Now, for those out there who don't necessarily understand the difference between a closed and open adoption. Um, Could you just explain that real quick to kind of give people a better understanding of what that means? Sure, sure. So the days of closed adoption, that was way back, you know, when I was in high school and my classmate got pregnant, then the the parents of that young woman typically made the decision that she would place for adoption. They would send her off to another state or to a distant relative until she got until she delivered the baby and then placed the baby into an adoptive couple. And so then they would bring her home and say, don't ever talk about that again. We don't want to hear another word about that. You just forget all about it. And that's almost impossible for any human being to do, to forget about the baby that they gave birth to. So all of that meant that she was, her grief was suppressed. She never got really the chance to heal openly from the adoption experience And uh, so today we've learned so much more about how um, she can do it differently if she chooses it herself. For the one thing is that the the young woman is in the driver's seat. And so if she chooses adoption herself, then she's also able to choose the parents. That means that she can choose the values of the home in which her child is raised. So if she's in the driver's seat in all those ways, it's a much healthier experience. And the other key part of open adoption now is that there's a possibility of continued relationship. So the birth mother, the woman who gave birth, can stay in touch with the adoptive family and they can be a part of each other's lives. They can kind of create an extended family. And so the woman doesn't just turn her back and go away and quote unquote, give up her baby. She actually stays in relationship with the baby as he or she grows and with the adoptive family. So it becomes um, much more, um, you know, informed light and look into what happened to that baby after she gave birth. And it's really a good thing for everybody involved. That's wonderful. Just a reminder, you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Mattingly Watson from Fact of Life. And today I am here with Terry Marcroft. Um, Terry, how has your work with Unplanned Good changed with the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Has it changed at all um, or has it mostly stayed the same? Not at all stayed the same. That was a that was a big change. So when Roe got overturned, the first thing it did was light a fire under me to get this book done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
I said, oh my gosh, I have to finish it this summer. Mm -hmm. So I hunkered down last summer and finished mm -hmm. uh, writing the book because I really wanted to put a spotlight on what happens with those other two options and the beauty of open adoption in mm -hmm. contrast. So putting a whole new light on those three unplanned pregnancy options. And so I finished the book last summer, got it out in November in celebration of National Adoption Month, which is in November. And uh, then we had another board meeting and said, okay, so, you know, besides um, doing some publicity around the book, like, let's look at what else we need to do from here. And so uh, when Roe got overturned, there were 13 states in, this, in the country that had trigger laws, which meant that they clamped down on abortion even more. Um, and our thought was, if they're going to do that, why not go to them and have them say yes to adoption? So with those 13 trigger law states, we thought they might be more receptive to a message about making adoption easier, making adoption more visible, making people more aware that adoption is an option and making this whatever state laws are, are in place with respect to adoption. Take a look at those and see what we can do to make it easier on the on the woman who's choosing adoption. So I'm working with state legislatures now to introduce bills that will help. The first bill that we have on the docket is gonna be called the Birth Mother Care Act. And it's about making sure that her needs are taken care of and that she's not put through unnecessary bureaucratic red tape because mm -hmm. she's chosen a difficult enough journey. So why are we making it even harder on her? So there was a story you started your book with. Um, it was a beautiful adoption story from Allie Marie Watson. Yes. And I loved how you also incorporated different people's stories throughout the book. That was one of the favorite, just looking through it. I loved seeing all the different perspectives to fully understand it better. How did you come across Allie's and other people's stories and decide to put them in your book? <laughs> uh, well, I met Allie when we were both speaking at a conference called CAFO. It's the Christian Alliance for Orphans annual conference. So Allie and I were on a panel together at CAFO probably, I don't know, 2016 or 2017, something like that. So she and I have been in touch since then, just because she's a very articulate and fabulous spokesperson for the birth mothers. And one of the, uh, by the way, one of the things that really surprised me in my research for this book was this growing bond among birth mothers who've gone through the same experience had a baby placed for adoption and then started leaning on each other and sharing with each other. So that birth mother bond was news to me and really a beautiful revelation to, to find out what was going on there. So, but Allie's story, she shares in the beginning of the book, why she chose adoption when she was faced with an unplanned pregnancy. And then at the end of the book, the afterward is Allie looking back 10 years after placing her baby and talking about how uh, she was able to stay in touch with her daughter and how she has become really good friends with the adoptive mom and what their relationship looks like now. So that hindsight after 10 years is the, is the end of the book. So those two stories kind of put, a, put mm -hmm. bookends on it, mm -hmm. so to speak. I, I love that. I thought that was a beautiful way to kind of encapsulate the, the whole message of the book. Now, also within the book, I believe it was about chapter six, you talked about um, like with the evolution of adoption, our language and like terminology around it changing. That was something I hadn't thought of. Mm. So do you just want to elaborate that on that a little bit more um, for our audience out there about how kind of some of those words that we use surrounding adoption maybe aren't the best options anymore? Right. 
Right. Well, with this whole evolution towards open adoption, it does make certain phrases antiquated. For example, that when people say that um, the woman who places for adoption actually gave up her baby for adoption, when you say giving up, it's like that implies a picture of turning your back and going in the other direction. And that's not what these birth mothers are doing. They're not turning their back at all. In fact, they're making decisions because they think that that's in the best interest of the baby. It's for the baby that they're doing that. And then they don't turn their back. They stay involved and they stay in touch with the adoptive family. So the whole term giving up your baby, I would love to strike that from the English language if possible. Mm -hmm. And then there's just downright stupid phrases like, you know, people who would ask me, but Terry, who's, who's her real mom? You know, it's mm. like, no, the adoptive mom is the real mom, but the birth mother is the first mother. And so that's to put all of that in mm -hmm. context. Okay. That's, I, I love the way you pointed those out in your book. I, it was definitely a game changer in my mind <laughs> as well. So, you know, we've talked a few different statistics today, all of them pretty shocking if you haven't seen them before. But one thing that stuck out to me was that the U.S. is a leader amongst like first world countries, developed countries in unplanned pregnancy. Why do you think that is? Do you think it has any correlation with people thinking that they only have two options or do you think there is any correlation there? I do think it's partly that uh, society tells them that they have only two options, but it's also our culture mm -hmm. because we have a tendency towards um, quick solutions whatever's gonna solve the problem for right now. And the ability to think in the big picture and delay gratification or sacrifice today for the good of tomorrow, that's, those are very mature concepts that people usually can't grasp until you know, they're completely really grown up. That's an adult concept to say, let's make a sacrifice today for the sake of the big picture. So we tend to gravitate towards the fast, you know, fast food, fast solution, fast and easy answer. Mm -hmm. And then we are a little bit uh, lazy about our research, frankly, too. We're a little, we don't dig in all that much. We tend to believe the first thing that we hear about, you know, there's no, there's no harm in it. There's no problem with it. And it's just a clump of cells anyway. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. So, um. Overall, you know, we've talked about a lot of wonderful things today, but what are like the top few things that most people must know about the choice to adopt? Number one, about the choice to place? Yes, ma'am. So number one is that even if you don't think that adoption has anything to do with your life, it does because you probably know somebody who's facing an unplanned pregnancy in the coming year. The chances are that you know someone who's facing an unplanned pregnancy. So you could be the one who plants the idea. You could be the one who brings it up for the first time and puts that option on your friend's radar or on your sister's radar or on your cousin's radar. So that, so number one is please don't think it has nothing to do with you. It's, it could be very relevant in your life sooner than you know. Mm -hmm. And you could be the one to make the difference just by putting a suggestion forth. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. So you know, I think there's a lot of division on this issue in our country right now um, with, you know, people not knowing about adoption, people thinking, oh, it's abortion or being a single parent. But what is the biggest action that people 
can make moving forward, even if they disagree with people around them? How can our listeners as individuals begin to make a change? You know, you mentioned um, informing one another, but is there anything on a larger or even smaller scale that people can start doing? Uh, well, one is about just informing ourselves because mm-hmm. you, as you pointed out, it's a very divisive topic when you get started on abortion. And a lot of people, especially uh, if we're strong believers, if we're strong Christians, we have a tendency to use moral arguments to try to um, participate in the pro-life, pro-choice debate, mm-hmm. or I should say argument. And so... Um, Coming at it from another standpoint, that's what this book is an effort to do. We don't talk much about God in this book because I'm trying to approach it from a pro-choice mindset. Mm-hmm. And so if you come into it from a pro-choice mindset and you want to try to empathize with your friend who believes in abortion, you can bring some statistics and some facts to them without um, being real moralistic about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's an attempt to... Uh, appeal from a real rational and practical standpoint because there's no denying the harm that it does to a woman's body. Mm -hmm. And so just giving that extra information, getting ourselves educated about that side of things and then also about the downsides and the the ramifications of single parenting. We Mm -hmm. just, a lot of people just don't have any idea about the downsides of both of those options. Mm -hmm. For listeners out there that are now just dying to get your book off the shelves, (laughs) Um, where can they buy pro-choice, pro-adoption? It's time for a loving, positive response to unplanned pregnancy. Yep, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon today. So perfect. Uh, that's where you can find it. All right, Terry, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Um, my name is Mattingly Watson from Fact of Life, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, where I was just joined by author Terry Markroff. Thank you so much, Maddie.